Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. Hey everyone, and welcome into the Lo-Fi Kitchen for Luke 7. Uh, if you're, if you for some reason just joined in here, um, the kitchen episodes are where I kind of look back on the story uh, that we saw in that chapter that week. Um, and in the regular episodes, again, I, I try and not give a lot of my personal thoughts, although I'm definitely giving a very biased reading in some ways. Um, but here, I just kind of like to reflect on it on more of a personal level, um, in case you're interested and curious um, <laughs> to hear what I have to say. But um, so, yeah, looking back on Luke 7. The street hates the urgency of sound, and as you can see, there's no one around. But we do have both Jesus and John the Baptist, and um, in this story, they both appear, and they're both kind of on the same page, and they're both kind of um, figures being used at the time that are looked at as at least prophets, and we had both of their births being foretold, and they're both cousins even, like so there's a lot of parallels between the two of them. Um, but here we have John coming up and actually asking Jesus, um, are you the Messiah? Like, w- tell me how to know that, that you're the one we're waiting for. Um, and one way to kind of look at what they're asking, um, at least in the way that Jesus responds, kind of reframes the question to kind of being a, a question of what's a sign that God is present? Um, I want to kind of take Jesus's response and look at the story from that way. So, um, you know, John asks, are, are, are you the one or are we doing it for another? And Jesus doesn't just say yes or no. He says, he describes his work. And let me go back and find it real quick so I can just give it to you word for word. Um, Jesus says, um, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, the poor have the good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. This idea that um, it's a sign that God is doing something among them, that, that even further from, from Luke's point of view, that God is present with them. And those signs are that the lame are walking, the blind are receiving their sight, the good news is being told to the poor. Um, And uh, as we kind of used Luke uh, 6 last week to kind of evaluate what we're doing in the world and maybe what our institutions are up to in the world or communities that we're a part of, um, I think it's kind of fun to use how Jesus describes God being active in the world as a way to judge whether maybe asking ourselves the question, is God present among us or in our community? Or is God working through our business, our church, our community, our group, our country, our society, our family? Um, You know, um, if you're non-religious, feel free to take God out of it. But, um, I mean, if we were hanging out in my kitchen, I would just then ask you, um, you know, what, what's the best version of the world from your point of view? Um, what, what are signs that the world is as it should be? Um, I mean, maybe, maybe you just take the world exactly as it is, but if you have an, a vision or an idea, or if you think the world is naturally headed towards something, you know, a great arc of justice or something like that, if you believe that there's there's 
some dreams that are better to follow than others. Like, do they look like what Jesus describes or do they look like something different? I would be really curious to, to hear how you would explain that. Um, or to hear what your, just your point of view on that is, because I'd probably have a lot to learn. Um, but just playing with what Jesus says, what if we used what Jesus says as the way of describing the world as it should be? A place where lame walk, a place where the blind can receive their sight, a place where the good news is being told specifically to the poor, like the people who are most vulnerable and in the most need. Is that a sign that that's the world as it should be. Like when you see that happening in your, in your life to you, to others in the community, when you get to be a part of those things, do you have a sense of feeling, uh, um, that like this is how it should be. I mean, even if you just see that in a movie, like where things like that happen, are you like, Oh, like there it is. Like, that's what we should be doing. Um, I know a lot of people don't like it, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of the movie It's a Wonderful Life. If you ever are in the room with me while it's playing, you will see me just cry and weep like a, like a, like a baby. And it comes at, the, at that moment at the end where, you know, all of his friends come into the room kind of one by one. And they're like, hey, George, here's, here's what I have to give. Like this wonderful moment where they've recognized that this person has been living his life to serve others and that they are taking the opportunity to love and serve him. And it's kind of this moment where they are all together giving and loving and trying to create a specific kind of world and community together. And whenever I see that, I just, I'm like, ah, that's so beautiful. Um, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Like, are there moments for you where, you say, oh, that's how it should be. And if you're religious, maybe you even put it in the same context of, yeah, that's that's where God is, or that's what God is doing, or God was in this place. This is a sacred moment or action, what just happened. Because that's how Jesus talks about his work, you know. And interestingly enough, um, Jesus talks about the offense part of it. We'll get to that in a second, but... Um, I mean, comparing that and contrasting it to what John said earlier, maybe John's idea, um, pressing it to its conclusion or, or, or on a, in a kind of harsh view, and this might not be very fair to John, but in John's view, he's like, well, when God is more fully present, the wheat will be separated from the chaff and the good fruit from the bad and the bad fruit and the chaff of the wheat, the useless part is going to get burned up in fire. And again, in the context of their religion, it could be fire that refines and fixes. So maybe it's not necessarily punishment or death or wrath coming to those people, but it also could be. And so from John's point of view, there's a way to look at it that says, yeah, when God is most present, people get what they deserve. Like God is coming to punish the wicked. And there are, in fact, people that I see in the world that really believe that that's what God is up to and about. There's people who go to funerals with signs that don't talk about God's mercy and love. They talk about the coming or present judgment and wrath of God. That's like, 
that's what they worship and what they celebrate because it's never wrath and judgment on them. It's always on others. So that's why I think it's okay to use the word. Like they're actually celebrating that. They're excited about that. They're fired up about that. They've made that their life's work. And here Jesus is saying, well, this is my life's work. And this is what God is doing in the world. This is the sign that I am the Messiah, that I'm the appointed one. This is the sign that salvation has come to these people. So is the best version of the world one where everyone gets what they deserve? Whether that's good or bad? Where, where harsh reality, you know, comes upon people and consequences and pain? Or is the best version of the world where everyone gets and gives mercy and compassion and healing? How you answer that question, again, is going to determine what you think about the world, and it's going to drive and shape your work and your life, I think, in two very drastically different ways. I mean, because here Jesus is again, as he has been throughout the whole book of Luke, calling for Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, where debts will be released and everyone will have land to go back to, to, to be fed and to be nourished and to be supported in a sustainable way. People will be filled in that messianic way. He's calling for people to love their enemies and to be merciful to all. He's called for people. He's going to say, if you're part of what God is doing in the world, you're going to give to anyone who asks. That kind of generosity, that kind of love, you could look at what Jesus is telling people that they need to do. And you could say, that's no way to run a community. That's no way to run a family. Like People should get the consequences of their actions. Like, we can't survive if we love our enemies. We can't get by this month if we give to anyone who asks, because we live in a community where people will ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. Like, we have a budget. Um, you could say that if we forgive all debts, like if all the banks in our country every seven years or every 49 years on the, on the Jubilee of Jubilees, had to forgive all debts and return anything that they had taken or repossessed or taken as collateral just to everybody. I mean, is that any way to run a society that's going to last? <laughs> that's not practical. It's not pragmatic. It's not possible, you could say. And honestly, even Christians who have been following Jesus for 2,000 years now, it's like our response has been, I'm sorry, Jesus, we can't do that. We'll take it for ourselves and we'll celebrate it for ourselves, but we can't, we, we, we can't live that way. We can't have a, a kingdom, a country, a business that runs that way, the way that you've said that we need to. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus, that doesn't work. Um. Like, even his followers have, have, have kind of said that. Even I say that. At a certain extent, I just can't give like you've told us to give. But we could look at what Jesus wants in the world and how he teaches and what he models through his actions that we see in Luke 7. And as he goes around, he, he touches and he heals and he, he's, he, he's, he brings salvation to people even when they haven't given restitution for their sins. And we could say, maybe that's the only way to love 
and to run a community. Maybe that's the only way our country will survive. Maybe that's the only way my family will raise healthy kids. Maybe that's the only way our business is going to do something good in the world. Maybe that's the only way our church will actually experience the presence and the work of God. Maybe that's the only way to create justice. It's for that justice to be based not on fairness or merit, but on mercy and compassion. I mean, if you're, if you're not a religious person, but you've been tracking along with the story, I mean, maybe you have to wonder, even without the language being about God or being based on God, I start to wonder if a lot of our culture, even right now, is starting to realize, you know what, we can't make it if we handle justice and goodness the way that we have. You know, like, look at what's going on with healthcare. We're kind of at a moment where we have to decide. Either we decide that healthcare is a right, or healthcare is something that only people who can afford it will get. Like, we have to decide, does everyone get what they deserve and what they can afford, or does everyone get, everyone get everything we can give? Because it's important for human bodies to be whole, as whole as we can make them. That's tough, um, you know, and, and, and it seems interesting that a lot of people, and a lot of this isn't coming from the church. It's not coming from religious sources. A lot of people in our culture are standing up and saying, this way that looks a lot like what Jesus wants is the only way that we can continue and we can run and not destroy ourselves or end up destroying a lot of others. Um, when, uh, when I was in grad school, we got to live in Pennsylvania. I went to grad school in Philadelphia. And while we were there, um, uh, a really unique event happened. Uh, there was a shooting in the Amish community. A non-Amish person drove into the community and went to a school and shot and murdered a bunch of um, students who were at the school. At the school, and it was extremely sad. Extremely, like uh, it was interesting being so close to a shooting. I'd never been um, in a community that experienced that kind of mass um, shooting before. But being so close to it, I felt it in a much different way. Like even in a way that I kind of didn't even feel 9-11. I lived on the other side of the country in 9-11 and I was a lot younger. And I kind of like I saw it on TV, but it just kind of felt like a movie. Um, whereas being so close to the community when this happened, I, I we all felt it. Um, and uh, to watch how the Amish community responded to a, a horrific and violent act against their community was really interesting. As I, I thought of this this week, as, as, as we, I was reading Luke 7, and um, uh, I, I, went and I, I went back and I Googled it, and I, I read an article, and it shared this, and it kind of took me back to that moment. I wanted to read it and share it with you. It says, On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some of his young relatives. So their ex community experiences this shooting, and... A grandfather stands up in a moment, and he says this to the rest of the Amish community. He says, we should not hate the killer. We must not think evil of this man. And another Amish father noted, this man had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. Like, the killer at the end of the shooting committed suicide. Um, and after murdering a bunch of children, 
a grandfather in the community stands up and says, we must not think evil of this man. We must not hate them. You like this man, this guy is trying to convince his community. Like we are a religious community and we follow the way of Christ. And therefore it's not our place and it's not our right. And the, he, the phrase is we must not like, I wonder if that, that must could come from a religious point of view. Like, Hey, Jesus says we, we must not think evil of this man. This guy could also be pleading for the soul of his community, saying, if we want to survive, and if we want to be what we are in the world, and if we want to be a part of what God's doing, we must not think evil of this man. And as the other guy said, he had a wife and a mother and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. And I wonder what that justice looks like to God And I wonder what this community would think that justice would look like for this guy if he's standing before a just God. Because normally when we think of he's standing before a just God, it's like, well, God has to be just. He has to give people what they deserve. But if God is the God of Luke 7, and if God is the God of this Amish community, I wonder if that justice is going to look very different than what we normally think. The, story, the article continues on. Jack Meyer, a member of the Brethren community living near the Amish community in Lancaster County, explained, I don't think anybody here, there's, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive. And not only to reach out to those who have suffered a loss in, a, in, a, in that way, but to also reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. What was so amazing about being so close um, and hearing more details about the story as this progressed was um, the Amish community responded very quickly to reach out to the family of the man who murdered their children and then killed himself. And only maybe by being ready to forgive and to not think evil of this man could they reach out in a powerful and meaningful way to the family of the perpetrator of this crime. The article continues on. It says, a Roberts family spokesman said an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. So um, the, fam- uh, the, the, the guy's last name was Roberts, the guy who committed the murders. Um, and someone speaking for them told the story that an Amish neighbor came over to their house to offer them comfort and to extend forgiveness hours after the shooting. So this wasn't after a time of grieving and reflection. This was like instantly this community was ready to get up and to go extend forgiveness and favor and comfort to this family. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow parents and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms reportedly for as long as an hour to comfort him. So when your community has grandfathers who are able to stand up and say, we must not think evil of this man, we should work hard to not hate these people, those same grandfathers are then able to go over and hold the grandfather of the family of the guy who committed this crime and these murders and hold him in his arms for an hour to comfort him. That sounds a lot like to me what Jesus says it's like when the Messiah is present. The lame are walking and the blind are seeing and the poor are hearing the good news. 
the story continues. The Amish have also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended the man's funeral. And Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to attend the funeral of one of the girls who was a victim of the, of the murder. Some commentators have criticized the quick and complete forgiveness with which the Amis responded, arguing that forgiveness is appropriate is inappropriate when no remorse has been expressed and that such an attitude runs the risk of denying the existence of evil while others were supportive. So you have this community reaching out to this family in a radical, forgiving, merciful way. Like they're living out the teaching of Luke 6 and 7, where Jesus says, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who hate you and give to anyone who asks. And that this is what it looks like when God is present, because God is all about that work. Like the blind will receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers will be cleansed and the poor will hear the good news. So this community goes out and does that. Um, they hold the, the, the weeping family members of, of the guy who committed these murders and they set up a charitable fund and they go to his funeral to provide comfort to the widow and to grieve the loss of his life too. They grieve the loss of the life of the man who took lives from their community and their families. And some people sit by and they see that and they criticize it. And the exact words of the article are that forgiveness is inappropriate when no remorse has been expressed, which I mean, there's there's a reasoning to that, but that such an attitude runs the risk of denying the existence of evil. So when people go and forgive and show radical mercy and show comfort to the family and build a fund to raise money to support the family now that their father, their dad, their husband is gone, they say that that runs the risk of denying the existence of evil. But what's interesting about Jesus and Luke is that he's not denying the existence of evil. In fact, he's He's confronting it whenever he can. It's almost like Jesus says, the only way to acknowledge and face the existence of evil is through forgiveness and love. Like that's the only way we can run this community (laughs) and run a community that deals with evil. And yet when the Amish people go out and do that kind of thing, there's people who stand back and criticize because they say, no, that's that's no way to run a community. Like, that's no way to face evil. Like, if we're, if we're people who are trying to get by in a world where, where bad things happen and whether or not you want to personify evil, but there's something wrong kind of in the world. People get sick, people get hurt, people hurt each other, people kill each other. You could say the only way to respond to that kind of evil world is to protect ourselves, to build walls, to not show mercy, to not give. Or you could say the only way to overcome this evil is with good and mercy and favor. And that's really tricky, you guys. And oh my goodness, would I love to have a conversation with you about which way is the best way. 
And if the the way that Jesus lays out is right, I mean, there is a certain kind of offensiveness to that. I mean, people are offended. That's you're denying the existence of evil. They say you can't forgive unless there's remorse. Like they're offended by that. Um, and again, taking the religious part out of it, if if love and mercy and forgiveness and releasing people from their debts, both financial or social or personal, is the only way to live and the only way to survive and the only way to make the world as it should be, there is an offensive quality to that. We're all at the risk of being offended by that because it's not fair it doesn't meet a lot of our sensibilities. And it means that some people who have worked in certain ways and some people who had advantages in certain ways or privileges might have to let that go and bear the burdens of others in their community. But are we willing to be offended for goodness? Or are we going to be so offended that we say, no, we're not going to be a part of what's happening in the world, making the, the world the, a better version of the world. Or if you're religious, making the world as God wants it to be. And if you are religious and you believe in God, and if you believe that Jesus is right about this, then you have to ask yourself the tough question, if I'm not about that way in the world, does that mean that I'm missing out on the presence of God? Because maybe he's over at my house for dinner right now, and he's sitting at my table, and I won't see him because I'm not about the lame walking and the blind seeing, and the poor receiving mercy. Jesus tells that story of two debtors, and I, I really like it. Um, and one debtor owes 50 bucks, and the other debtor owes 500 bucks. And he says, which is more thankful? And the, the, you know, the, the obvious answer is the one who owed more. Like, they'll definitely be more thankful. That's, I would be, you know. What if the story only had the $50 person. Would that person not be more thankful or less thankful? I mean, because in the original version of the story, like if you have, if you had 50 bucks and someone else owed 500 bucks and you were both forgiven, if you were the $50 person, you would be less likely to be super uber grateful. If you were the $500 person, you know, common sense, as it says in the story, it says that you would be more thankful. You'd be more overjoyed with the forgiveness that you got. But is, does that only happen when there's someone to compare your debt to? I mean, if Jesus told the story, he was like, hey, someone owed 50 bucks and they were forgiven. Do you think that person would be more thankful? Or do you think they're only less thankful because there was someone else who got forgiven more? We do this thing in our lives where we compare ourselves to other. I, I was seeing a counselor for a while, and um, the counselor wants to look to me in the face. And counselors usually don't tell you things. They usually just ask you questions. And so when a counselor tells me something, I, I stop and I think about it very deeply. And he said, Kevin, comparison is the quickest way to suffering. And oh, I think he was so right. Because comparing myself to others is the quickest way to ruin my sense of gratitude. And it's the quickest way to misplace where my wonder should be. If you've heard me talk before, you've heard me talk about gratitude and wonder. But if I'm always comparing myself to someone else, how much wonder do they get and what, 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 what don't I get? You know, um, 
and I'll misplace it because instead of my wonder being in what I have and what I receive, my wonder is I'm always wanting something else. And if that's what you want, you'll, you'll never be grateful because you never have as much as someone else. And I think that that ties in to what Jesus is teaching about mercy. There's some people who are constantly comparing themselves to others. And so they'll never be able to be merciful and to receive mercy because they're not able to be grateful because someone else owed more and they got forgiven too. And I'm thinking of this Pharisee in the story and I'm, I'm just brokenhearted over him because God is right there and he misses it. And it's not that God has withheld his goodness from him. It's that he's not able to receive it because he's comparing himself to the sinner. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I am so glad that Jesus came here to my house because I'm so happy to have someone here who's so loving and good. And instead he's like, well, that person is receiving loving and goodness and they don't deserve it. So, ah, like it, it ruins it for him. And when we fall into that mindset, I don't think we can follow Jesus' teachings about mercy and loving our enemies and giving to anyone because we're always going to be inclined to say they don't deserve it because they owe more. Or I'm not great, or I don't believe that I've received good enough forgiveness for my own debts, or I don't even have any debts. I've managed to live life without ever having to owe money. Why should anyone else get forgiven for it? And that's just going to spoil us. And if we're not careful, you guys, we're going to miss God when he walks by our house or he sits down at our table. And if you don't believe in God, I'm just worried for you and for me that if we're not merciful and if we don't learn to be more loving and more forgiving, if Jesus is right, we might miss creating a beautiful, wonderful world together that would leave all of us, even more of us, even the poor would have gratitude and wonder. I don't want to miss it. So, something to think about. Thanks for coming by my kitchen. I, uh, I hope you have a good afternoon. And uh, I hope you, you experience some goodness today. Take care, everyone. I'll see you next week. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review... Subscribe and share the podcast any way you can. Um, the more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, if you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Lectionary and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net. And that's lofi with no dash. So L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again. So at lofi kevin. Um, that's kind of it. So thank you for coming and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.